God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. The guy that wrote that would know. Paul pins these words from a passage in prison awaiting certain death in Rome. He'd been abandoned by some. Others had gone off to deal with other duties. He's in the twilight of his ministry, the twilight of his life, yet he sees it fitting to minister to a young minister, Timothy, to address his needs, to give him a a final exhortation in this sort of last will and testament, to stand firm in faithfulness, Paul calls on his own life, his own experience as a pre-paved path for Timothy to tread. In this section of scripture, Paul encourages Timothy to endurance for the sake of the gospel. It's a wonderful letter. It's unique because it's personal. It's like a letter from a loved one. It's a father in the faith writing to his son. Often throughout the book, he addresses him as such. He tells him about how much he wants to see him again and the tears that they shared. He talks about this heritage of faith, this faith that he saw in his grandma and his mother. It's the same kind of faith that he he sees now in Timothy. Just a side note, grandma, mom, you keep showing the light of your faith. You never know, you may be raising a Timothy. He talks about this gift of the heritage of faith. Then the apostle transitions to another gift that Timothy had been given. He says, this spiritual gift, fan the flame of the gift that you've been given. Kindle afresh this gift of God. Then he comes to the line in the letter that will be the focus of our time. For God has not given us a spirit of fear but of power, love, and self-control, or as was read from the NASB this morning, God has not given us a spirit of timidity, but of power, love, and discipline. Maybe it was because he was young and he was relatively inexperienced. Maybe it was the danger of the day or the surety of suffering. Maybe he was intimidated by the hostility to Paul and the gospel. Maybe he felt threatened, even ashamed, coming to the defense of a prisoner and this message of foolishness that he and Paul would preach in a crucified Christ. You know, scripture doesn't lay out every detail, but Paul is telling Timothy, you can't live life well this way. Out of a posture of trepidation, you can't live out your God-given calling in a spirit of fear. And you know what? Neither can you. Paul contrasts this spirit of fear with the spirit of God. I want you to know this morning that you do have a choice, a choice to live a life that flows out of fear or a life that lives and flows out of the spirit of God. The believer decides who they will yield to. For the believer to live in fear is to choose to live under the authority and rule of an enemy kingdom. Make no mistake, the spirit you yield to will exercise dominion over you. I wonder today, 
What spirit are you living from? Paul starts with this spirit of fear. And the first thing that I want you to see about fear that scripture teaches us is that it secludes us. Scripture all throughout the scope of the Bible talks about this. But the scripture says much about fear. And sometimes fear can be a good thing, portrayed even a positive way, in a positive light. Like in the wisdom books where you hear that the fear of the Lord is is both the beginning of wisdom and knowledge. And I remember as a child experiencing this kind of fear when my mom would say, you wait till your dad gets home. I loved my father dearly. I knew without a doubt he loved me. But whom he loves, he also chasteneth, and whom he chasteneth, he eventually catcheth. (laughs) And then, indeed, wisdom and discernment, knowledge are imparted unto his beloved. Even Jesus taught us to have this kind of fear, this good fear, fear the one that has the power to destroy the soul. This isn't the fear that Paul's talking about. He's highlighting to Timothy. This is a good fear, a right fear, a fear of, of God and his holiness, and we have awe for him and his righteous hand. This isn't the natural fear that God created uh, man with. You know, the fear that you have that tells you do not walk out in front of a moving car or keeps you from petting a rattlesnake. This fear is good. It's for you. This is a fear we shouldn't possess. And God doesn't pass out. This is a daunting, draining, debilitating fear that it isn't just a season, but a spirit that we live out of. It becomes the air we breathe, the place we dwell, the condition of our disposition, a fear we will all experience in life, but this fear can be especially costly. That's the fear that is our focus today. The Greek word he used is here, uh, delia, means cowardice. It's like somebody who flees from a fight, who runs from a battle. He was scared, displayed cowardice, a propensity to present as a particular poultry. Around here, we would say he is yellow. Proverbs 28.1 says, The wicked flee when no one is pursuing, but the righteous are as bold as a lion. Timothy was looking more lamb than lion. And Paul presents this problem of cowardice to his young protege. Timothy was tethered to timidity. I imagine if we walked in his sandals, we would be no different. Can you imagine the search committee chairman that would have come from Ephesus, who would have come to Timothy He wouldn't have had any attractive aspects to offer Timothy. There's some real issues, some terrible fractures among our congregation. We're plagued with false teaching, prickly problem people in our church. Our founder has been ruthlessly scourged, beaten with rods, shipwrecked, snake bitten, and imprisoned. How does taking up the mantle of a man soon to be martyred sound? Wow, Brother Aristophilus, that all sounds so attractive. I just don't know that God has released me from my call here. Are you sure, Brother Tim, we really feel like you're the guy? It's the money, isn't it? It's the money. I I tell you what, we're going to throw in dental. You're going to have a copay, but we're going to throw in dental. Nobody's doing that. Nobody's doing that. You know, it's not so much. It's not so much that. It's more the scourging, stoning, shipwreck, snaky stuff that's holding me back. That's how I and you would have answered that kind of call. Being a minister of the gospel 
or a bold believer in the first century wasn't for the faint of heart. It was so dark and dangerous, it often cost them their lives. To be fair, being a committed Christian that lives out their calling will always be costly. Christ didn't use the picture of a couch but a cross to describe discipleship. Nevertheless, Timothy is young. He's fearful. He's up against the reality of very scary things. Paul still tells him, you're not maximizing the giftedness that you have. You're not gonna be able to live out what God's called you to in this spirit of fear. You've gotta stir up the flame within you as a man who would go and tend to a fire that's dying down, a, a passion that is beginning to wane. Fear smothers the flame of our faith like a dying fire. It darkens the dreams God's, God has given us. Timothy was in a battle for sure. He had much in front of him to be afraid of, yet he's told to not have this spirit of fear. Scripture teaches us about this folly of fear, as I mentioned before, that it secludes us. You find this all throughout Scripture. Think about Adam and Eve. You think about in Genesis 3 where it says, I heard the sound of you in the garden. I was afraid I was naked, so I hid myself. In the parable of the talents where the wealthy man entrusts a portion of his money to servants. And he says, I was afraid. I went away and I hid my talent in the ground. Fear will seclude you. It will separate you. It will make you feel isolated on an island without the hope of help. It will mask you, hide the real redeemed you, make us feel alone and forgotten. Fear secludes us. Secondly, it also seizes us. Fear seizes us. The Bible says the fear of man will prove to be a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is kept safe. Proverbs 29, 25. Have you seen these outdoor shows? where they take someone into the middle of nowhere and in a helicopter, they drop them off. No food or water, but 300 pounds of audio visual equipment to slowly film their starvation. You know, I've learned that we can get real judgy with these shows, can't we? I can't believe he tapped out. You just get mauled by a couple grizzly bears. He's got the other foot. <laughs> we sit back on the couch, eat our ham sandwich in the recliner. I'd be tapping out on the first morning, grabbing that satellite phone, I can't do this. Well, what's wrong? Are you hurt? Are you in danger? Stay right where you are. Are you okay? No, not really. I don't have any coffee. Um, just feeling fussy, I don't know. Well, we gave you some instant coffee in your supply. Well, yeah, that, that tastes like hot sadness. I don't want that. <laughs> I'm going to need my French press. Come and get me. I'm scared. A little irritated. One of the best parts about the show is to watch them hunt for food. And they're incredible at it. A bow, an arrow, whatever it may be, but they often set snares. These people are so skilled. The contestants will make a snare in the woods and sure enough, uh, a rabbit will come by and get caught and will work and work and can't get out of the snare. Sometimes the contestant will come the next morning and will find them. Sometimes they don't make it until the next morning another predator comes and gets them. Either way, they're prey. 
Bible talks about fear in this way as a snare that traps us, won't let us free, seizes us, exposes us to a predator that walks around the woods where we live seeking whom he may devour. We can get stuck and sidelined, seized by fear in our life as scripture teaches. Fear promises this protection but only delivers a prison. The bars indeed are secure. You are secluded from some danger of others, but at what cost? Listen, we can get too comfortable with this spirit of fear. You are not cared for in the arms of fear. You are captive. It's not God's plan for his people. It's not from him and it's not for you. Scripture teaches us about fear that it it secludes us, it, it seizes us, but what about the fact that it sinks us? You remember Jonah's story? He found himself in disobedience on a sinking ship when fear of the evil Ninevites and furthermore the fear that a loving God would forgive said people captured him. You remember Peter out on the sea, Jesus was on the water, Peter steps out to go to the boat to him but then he looks away and fear takes over him and he begins to sink when he takes his eyes off the Savior. Fear is deceiving, it's distracting, a red herring of sorts to be sure. It leads us away from what is really important in life. And then, like quicksand, once we're secluded, it seizes us and sinks us. Paul's telling Timothy, you cannot live life this way out of, out of a posture of trepidation. You can't live out your calling in this way, in this spirit of fear. And you can't either. It seems to happen more in the hardships of life when we can't figure out what the Father's doing, why he's allowing the trouble we're facing, and though we may be in a valley, it's often where fear arises. It can be miserable, ominous, endless, unrelenting, suffocating, even feels sinister, but we've all been where Timothy is, where we've been captured by fear, held back by fear, seized by it we find ourselves sinking in it. One of my favorite shows as a child was Scooby-Doo. When those gumshoes, Scooby, Shaggy, Fred, Daphne, and Velma took out the mystery machine to investigate, I'll admit I got a little hyped. Although at some point in life you figure out every episode is just the same. The bad guy's always wearing a mask. He has an ulterior motive for why he's haunting people. At the climax, the heroes have caught the villain. They've exposed the plot. The villain is unmasked, and off he would say, and I would have gotten away with it if it wasn't for you meddling kids. When we unmask the fear that haunts us, it has the face of a variety of villains. Anxiousness, worry, disease, career concerns, financial issues, the future, family problems, and on and on and on. And the Apostle Paul wants you to know no matter what, when you pull down the mask from the face of fear, it will never reveal your father. He does not give a spirit of fear. It's not his plan for his people. It will seclude you. (laughs) It will seize you. And if you let it, it will sink you. But you don't have to let it. 
Paul tells Timothy, God has not given him this spirit, but he tells him the spirit of God that he has been given, that yields power, love, and self-control. And he now contrasts this spirit of fear with what God does give his people, what Timothy has been given, the first of which is power. God gives his people his power. Paul uses the familiar Greek word dunamis for power. It's from the word that we get dynamite from in English. God's power is dynamic. It's how we derive that word into English. This is one of Paul's favorite words. In fact, Paul may have had a propensity to pyromania because he uses it in every book that he writes, sans Philemon. He couldn't talk about it enough, this incredible, dynamic, miraculous power that God has gifted us through his spirit. And you need to know the Holy Spirit, God's spirit is powerful, powerful and present in creation as he was hovering over the face of many waters. It was by the spirit of God that Jesus cast out demons. Through the spirit of God, the Virgin Mary was able to conceive Jesus without ever knowing a man. It was the spirit of God that fueled fearful disciples and transformed them into bold apostles. It's this kind of power that raised Jesus from the grave and it's the same power that lives in the heart of the believer. Romans 8, 11 says, if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give you life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. God presents power, not fear. He gives power to boldly overcome all obstacles and to face the dangers in life. 2 Peter 1.3, his divine power has granted us everything pertaining to life and godliness in the midst of all that Timothy was facing, the persecution, the problems, martyrdom. He says, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to live in a spirit of fear. God gives you his power. This morning, you need to know in the midst of whatever you're facing, in the midst of whatever you're up against, God gives his people his power. A second thing he says is love, the greatest of these Christian virtues, the highest of love that enables us to speak the truth in love, a love for lost souls, for the people of God, a selfless love that says, I give myself away on your behalf. This fruit of the Spirit is fortified in believers. Listen to 1 John 4.18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. How does love drive out fear? Let me illustrate it for you. If you had a loved one, your child, someone you loved dearly, a close friend, and you watched as they fell into an angry ocean and began to struggle and began to drown, you wouldn't hesitate. You would jump in, you would do everything you could to save them, why? Because your love for them outweighs your fear of the waves. And perfect love will drive out fear. That's the love that God gives. That's the love he gives to his people. That's the love he's given to you and me. That's the love that would cause Christ to give everything. 
that we wouldn't have to spend eternity separated from him. In love, he bore our suffering and our shame, and that's the love that God gives. We don't have to live in fear. God gives his power, love, and then finally, this self-control or discipline, the sound mindness. It's the idea of sober-mindness, something that Timothy needed to be exhorted in. It's the thought of soberness and sobriety. It's this calmness, this well-balanced, disciplined mind. We've all had these seasons where we felt anything but calm and well-balanced but it's a struggle that we shouldn't be surprised with. The trouble with fear is when it goes beyond just a problem but seems to become a part of us. The Spirit of God brings self-control by transforming us more into the image of Christ. And when we tether ourselves to the Lord, when we put our anchor in Him, when we yield ourselves to His Spirit, we are anchored to the storms in life. When they, when they come to us, we are anchored when these storms washed over us. And although we may in our own flesh go up and down with our emotions, with our circumstances, when we're anchored to God's Spirit, we then are able to have this discipline, this sound mind. See, fear seeks to seclude us but nothing can separate us from the love of God. Fear wants to seize us, but we've been given God's power through his spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there's freedom. Fear seeks to sink us, but we are raised through the power of Christ's resurrection. The fact is there's nothing fear can fling at you that your father hasn't already equipped you for. Romans 8.15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again but you've received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Ab, Abba, Father. See, those in Christ don't find their identity as slaves to fear, but as sons and daughters of the heavenly Father, and their Father is King. And you may think, this is just who I am. I'm just fearful. I have to live here. I can't shake this fear, but the battle for who you are was fought long ago when Christ conquered on the cross, when he rose in victory and fear may whisper to you, you will never beat this, but your Father says, I've already won. Here, Paul speaks to his young protege. Timothy, you can't be timid. You can't be a coward. You can't live out your calling in fear. Won't work. Trust what God's given you. Trust the spirit that he's given you, his power, his love, his self-control. You may say, well, Paul and Timothy, weren't they, weren't they killed, martyred for their faith? You know, if you haven't heard, I want to let you in on a little secret. Barring Jesus returning, none of us are making it out of here alive. <laughs> Paul didn't, Timothy didn't. But God has blessed you with this broken but beautiful life. He gave his life so you could live it abundantly. It's too precious, too priceless to squander in a spirit of fear. 
But just like Timothy, God has called you to be his light in this world, dark as it may be. He has gifted you with his spirit to live a life of victorious faith. When the waves roar and they crash over you, what voice will you listen to? When you get the news, the text, the call, the circumstances in your life are hard to reconcile in your heart, where will your allegiance lie? When you're brought to your knees and both fear and faith offer you their hand, which will you take? When life presses in from every direction, from the hardships and trials of life, you can live from a spirit of fear or you can rest, (laughs) you can trust, you can live out of the spirit of God. I wonder, I wonder which spirit will control you. Will you pray with me? God, thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for these ancient words to Timothy from the Apostle Paul. God, in the face of such difficulty and such hardship and false teaching and so much difficulty, he was given this message. And yet, God, I know this message given to Timothy wasn't wasn't directly to us. (laughs) But Lord, this morning, we know it is for us. God, help us to yield to your spirit. Help us to fan that fire, the giftedness that you've given us. God, may we put our full weight in your capable hands. And may we live this precious, precious life that you've given us for your glory and out of a yielded heart. God, a heart yielded to your spirit. It's in Christ's name that we pray, amen.